This is Digital Marketing Fastlane. This podcast will show you how to build, launch, grow, and scale a widely successful online business. Listen to real conversations with proven practical strategies and success stories. You're going to learn how to generate more traffic, more sales, more profit, and customer lifetime value for your online store. Coming to you from the online marketing experts at Voy Media, here's your host, Kevin Urrutia. Hi, everybody. It's Kevin here. Welcome to today's show. I'm here today with Sarah Otto from Confianza. Hi, Sarah. How are you today? Hey, doing great. How are you doing? Perfect. I'm doing great today. Um, yeah, so Sarah, can you tell us maybe a little bit about yourself, your background, and you know, maybe where you grew up? Uh, sure. I'd love to tell you, Kevin. Um, so I grew up um, in a small community on Cape Cod um, in Massachusetts, and um, I watched my younger sister struggled because of birth defects and special education needs and it taught me a lot about what all students should have access to mm -hmm. and I myself was bullied just partly by being um it you know with her as well as being kind of a have-not in a have-have-not community and those formative experiences in my life really taught me that education is super important and I have a voice I can stand up for other people so in the ways that I stood up for my sister and the ways that I experienced being marginalized because of her differences, I now channel into my work. Yeah, I mean, I've lived in Massachusetts, as I said, I, and then I lived in Wisconsin, started teaching out there. Um, then I wanted to experience what my students in the Milwaukee Public Schools experience, um, who are bilingual, mostly from Mexico and Puerto Rico. So I shipped myself off down to, Puerto, uh, down to Latin America for two years to be a language learner. I'm obsessed with language and culture, and I wanted to walk in my students' shoes and, and really experience that as much as I could. So I lived in Puerto Rico for two years, and even though I was a voluntary language learner, where our students are not really voluntary, they have to learn English um, in order to succeed, in order to pass and grow in school, I really um, took that with me through my career, and now I work to support that population and advocate for that population for mm -hmm. uh, my work. And then sort of when you went to Puerto Rico um, and you were there for two years, was that work sort of, did you always knew you wanted to do that work essentially? Like, you know, after you went there, you're like, oh, okay, this is the industry you're feeling want to get into. I guess because that, that's sort of where your passion has always been and that, that came from your early childhood with your sister. I was wondering, did you go anywhere for like to learn more about this? So like, how did you realize this is something you wanted to do? Mm, yeah. Well, I've always just really followed my mission of how can I serve. Mm -hmm. I kind of fell into teaching, but I was a general education teacher. And like I said, it was because of my students. They were bilingual, they were bicultural, and they were like, Miss Otto, puedes aprender español? And I was like, really? I can speak Spanish? You can teach me? And they were my little teachers. Yeah. And I realized, you know what? I need to learn more about this. I'm not from the same background that my kids are from. And I would be doing a disservice if I just went on as a multilingual person. I, I felt, I just felt like I had a calling there. So when I went to teach abroad, I realized that there's a whole door open for me there that you can actually become certified in what's called um, English as a second language and bilingual instruction. So I added that training onto my teaching certifications. And so, no, I didn't really know formally about it that much going into it. I just kind of fell into general education, but I became more and more specialized throughout my career and kind of went to deeper and deeper levels and higher levels of how can I help 
and how can I support this often marginalized population and often misunderstood group of students and families. When did you sort of, you know, decide that you want to start Confianza? So Confianza, I'm assuming it's a Spanish word, and it means sort of, I mean, so my background is Hispanic, so I mean, it means like trust. So yeah. when did you know you want to start your own sort of, essentially business or consulting business or, you know, company? First of all, the word confianza is so important to me because it does represent that transition in my life that I just described of like, oh my gosh, there's this whole world that I have access to now that I speak Spanish. And there's a whole understanding that I have now because I've been in that situation. And, but it wasn't until, Kevin, it wasn't until about 10 years later mm -hmm. that I decided to open up my own business. So it was through many years of continuing to teach and then doing teacher training. Mm -hmm. I was working um, full-time for several districts doing coaching and moving up to district level positions and then also training teachers in uh, adjunct instructor positions like for universities and colleges and things like that. Mm -hmm. I just knew that I really loved helping the system. Mm -hmm. So it wasn't enough to just teach my kids because I could only help 30 kids at once or 60 kids or 100 kids, however many kids are on my caseload. But I'm a systems thinker. So if, once I realized that if by teaching teachers and teaching principals mm -hmm. and helping schools, in these positions that I had, that I could help hundreds if not thousands of kids through these partnerships with other educators. I was like, I gotta keep doing this. That's my next level. And so about, um, gosh, about seven years ago, I moved back out to Massachusetts from the Midwest and I became a director at a nonprofit where I got some really great opportunities to work with the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation and to study kind of the problem with professional learning in schools and why we spend $60,000 a year on it and we don't get a return on our investment. And I really started to see that there was a huge niche there that wasn't necessarily being addressed, that there could be on-demand courses for teachers, particularly around language and culture, that there could be more meaningful partnerships with districts um, mm -hmm. that were beyond these grants that I've been involved in that have been great, but they have a beginning date and they have an ending date where if you can be flexible to be an LLC, which is what I decided to be, you can bring people on board, you can bring like-minded experts on, and you can really design professional learning partnerships that help truly meet the multi-layered nuanced needs of schools and organizations. And so it was really a decision that I made because there was no other way for me to do what I needed to do. Yeah, so I guess internally, you, this was something that you just felt like you had to do and sort of you went, then went to figure it out. Um, I wanted to touch on about a little bit of something you said earlier. For professional learning, you know, what did you see for some of the issues there that, that you've experienced that, you know, just wasn't in education? Yeah, and by the way, you know, I think this is the issues that I'll describe are issues that are not just in education, but this idea that training is something that is, a, is an event, not a culture. Mm -hmm. So in other words, I'm going to go take this course, I'm going to go, um, go to this workshop, go to this seminar, and suddenly I will become proficient in X. Mm -hmm. And really, it's about how does the organization embrace change, mm -hmm. right? So we, what we know about adult learning in schools and in any context is that learners need to be deeply engaged mm -hmm. in finding a purpose for why they need to change their mindsets and behaviors, and then as leaders, we need to create those conditions to provide just-in-time learning for them. Um, and also a lot of support and community. So the history, especially in schools, has been to just certify, re-up, um, take new courses, take the required yeah. training every five years to get recertified. 
um, or to check the box. And it's been more of a compliance based. Mm -hmm. And again, I think that's true in many other industries as well. Um, but what we try to do is fold that in so that teachers and leaders who work with us um, have to be accountable for what they've learned. And that's what I learned through my work early on in my career. And then also um, in the latest work with the grants that I mentioned. So, you know, they have to show that they've done it and we go into classrooms, we help them, we make sure that we see that transfer to practice and we help the community get stronger in terms of helping the <laughs> whole school, right? Like always be learning. Like it's yeah. not just learning for kids, it's learning for adults too. And then how do you sort of hold like the teachers that I guess accountable in, to make sure that they do, they, they, they do know what they've learned or, you know, it's not just checking the box like I said before, you know, what do you, is that part of your program, you know, that where you can test them or something like that? Yeah, absolutely. So we don't work with schools who aren't interested in our approach. Our approach is three pronged. It's leaders, it's teacher leaders or coaches, and then it's also classroom teachers. So the old model or what hasn't worked is we just work with teachers and it's one and done and it's a little workshop and yeah. But no, mm -hmm. now we work and what we've done in Confianza was, as the model that we've proved is we work heavy duty with leadership to help build their capacity. We can help directly work with teachers, but we prefer to work through the leaders, right? And have more of a high touch model. So how do we hold them accountable? We, um, we use a research-based model that looks at five levels of professional learning. It looks at skills, it looks at transfer of skills to practice, it looks at student outcomes, mm. it looks at organizational change, and then it looks at transfer of all of that. So we have different tools, we have a whole framework you know, that aligns to that. And um, we're excited about it because we know that it works. And the more that we can take a back seat and have the leaders be the holders of the knowledge and the, and the tools, not just us, not just consultants coming in as experts, but building expertise is really the goal, then the more accountable everybody is. And then, so something like this, you know, with schools or leaders, uh, you know, using your program, using your method, what are some of the results that you guys are able to achieve that, you know, you can say to another school, hey, look, if you guys follow this and you guys actually care about this program, you know, this is what you can achieve. Yeah, well, the first thing is aligned with our mission, which is really about improving collaboration and culture. And we see that right away. If Leaders set the bar high and they promote and model that mission-driven way that we all have to learn and we're never done learning. That's what we want to see first, is we want to see that teachers and leaders and coaches and everybody, families, you know, all the stakeholders that are involved, we want to see people open to learning from each other. And we often don't, we, we often come in and we'll see what we call like a silo, like the EL kids over here, the English learners in this other department or the special ed kids in this other department and kids kind of having this old way of sort of like being the basement, so to speak. Like these kids aren't as equal, these kids aren't as smart and that's unacceptable. Like we have a changing diverse culture mm -hmm. and we need to make sure that we respect all kids and that we respect all adults. And so that's a big order, but we have seen that happen in our partnerships where we have seen these silos break down and kids working together in classrooms and teachers co-teaching together and leaders working across these chasms. And that's the biggest thing that we're proud of. I mean, it breaks down into more specifics yeah. in terms of shared knowledge base and tools, but that's really the biggest outcome that we look for. It's, it's so funny you said that because I actually took ESL and exactly that where like you were pulled out of a classroom and then you're just like with a bunch of other kids that, you know, are also having trouble speaking. 
and then exactly so you you just feel weird like am i not like a regular person in here so yeah yeah, exactly what you said so i I can see how when you're describing the collaboration and everything that and if it's normal you wouldn't feel maybe at least for me like as made fun of oh you're doing this it's like no you're helping me uh, get better because you know this is just sort of how it is and it isn't this distinct thing that you're getting out of class to go to go figure out and do with another teacher oh my gosh thank you for sharing that kevin that's really amazing that you made that connection and yeah i mean that's we don't want anybody to feel that way and we do um we're starting to do this work and we'd like to offer this work to corporates to corporate clients too because we think it's the same thing like whether you're a kid or you're adult and you're in your other eyes that's not gonna do it right we need to work as a community and as a global culture which we are Exactly. Yeah, because you are. It's exactly what you say. It's like English, especially Spanish, is like there's no global language. Like, I guess for America, at least, you know, it's English and Spanish, two really popular languages. But you're always sort of felt shy, like, oh, you don't know that much. But yeah, it's 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 interesting. Yeah, that's why. I'm, yeah, I've connected Aww. with that. That's so great. I mean, at the end of the day, we want everybody to feel included. And by the way, we do not have an official language in the United States. People yeah. think that we do. But we're one of the few countries that don't. And that's, we have to remind people of that. Like, yeah. hey, you have to let your kids, you know, speak in their native language to like help parents parent in their home language. It's not yeah. a crime. It's a beautiful asset that we should be capitalizing on. Oh, yeah, for sure. Yeah, I mean, growing up, like, I was taught only Spanish because my parents didn't know English. And then in school, that's when we were taught English because um, that's sort of where we had to go learn it. Or, you know, we watch TV and stuff, but it wasn't like, something that we would grow up with. And even when we go home, even now, we speak Spanglish, but it's like just a mix of Spanish and English, just because it's so natural to us. And it's true, yeah, people are just like, that's so weird. I'm like, how do you understand both? I'm like, oh, that's kind of like interesting that some words, at least for me, I think about it in Spanish and then some in English. And I'm like, I don't know how to say that word in English, but I know how to say it in Spanish. But it's like- Yes, that is exactly what we teach, those concepts around that. It's true. I mean, it doesn't matter if it's Spanish or any of the other 50 languages that I've taught kids from. It's like, there's this interlanguage that you're living in and it's real. It's not like you can fit in one box or another. It's a real, beautiful thing of being bicultural and bilingual. Yeah, exactly. Like even even from like, I talked to my other friend, Mike this weekend, and he's just like, whenever I'm angry, I think about it in Chinese. And I'm like, that's so weird. But he's like, I guess that's how I grew up with, but then when I speak to somebody, I just think about it in English. But that's, goes back to that multicultural that most people in America are. It's not just, oh, just English or... Exactly. I couldn't agree with you more. And that's like our whole mission is this social justice mission of like, let's go on and let's move on to this other beautiful space of embracing who we are. And it's funny that you say that about like how you think or how you feel in other languages because I I work in schools internationally too, my team does. And Mm -hmm. I was in Romania last week. And I'm trying to work on my Romanian because I've been going to this school now for two years. And I noticed that I have a different voice. I'm like, Luna Dimineza. It's like, mm-hmm. I put my like, ooh, I have like a different persona. And I don't know, it's just, that's part of it too, you know, is, is allowing that window to another world to come open yeah. to. And I think that's what, I mean, it, yeah, that's what languages does and sort of like what travel does. It gives you a different window and most people can't experience it because sometimes like, at least for me, and I've heard this from other people is, your heritage when you're growing up you kind of want to hide it away because it's so not allowed in what you grow up but then as you get older you sort of want to bring it back out because that is what makes you truly unique and I've felt other kids also felt like that too like especially like in my town where like a lot of 
very few Hispanic kids, you know. Yeah, it's it's a shame, right? Because it's not our, our roots of immigrants. And it, it was just it's just about changing the narrative, really, yeah. into capitalizing on that. So very cool. Perfect. And then how do you sort of go and talk to these schools? How do you go and connect with these leaders? As, as someone like, let's say you start your own business, you know, how would you first approach something like this? I guess talking to a school, talking to a leader in a district must be very difficult. But, you know, how would someone do that? that, you know, maybe wants to do something similar or maybe wants to reach a sort of target audience? Yeah, that's a good question. I do get asked that from usually younger teachers that want to do consulting full time. I think, first of all, it's important to have a brand. And I don't just mean that as like being on Twitter and being in conferences, which is important, but to have a personal mission statement around what you believe, like we've been talking about, right? Like I believe that all students should have access to high levels of engagement but also a track record in that, because I had a track record of it. I, if you had asked me 10 years ago, five years ago, well, five years ago, yeah, because I started the business four years ago, but if you had asked me, you know, seven, 10 years ago, Kevin, if you would have said, you're gonna have your own business, would you ever consider that? I'm like, no way, I never would have thought that. <laughs> years. They're like, no, I'm, I'm not into that. Like, I'm all about mission, but you can't yeah. have a mission-driven business. And I would say like, the, the blood, sweat, and tears that got me to the place of opening up my own shop yeah. is what you need to have. So it's not just, oh, I'm ready to leave the classroom and I'm ready to do this. Yes. It's really, you gotta have a proof of concept that what you do works. I mean, I didn't really advertise. We haven't really formally advertised. It's all been word of mouth because I was highly connected in the Boston community out here where I live. And I had clients ready to work with me who were like, yes, we need that. By all means, that's better than what you could offer before. So, so that's been great. It's been organic. And schools talk to other schools, right? And organizations talk to other organizations. So the referral network is the strongest way that we've been able to build a brand. Perfect. And sort of how do you, for your business or some sort of like business like this, how do you think about press or being on newspapers as a way to, for people to find out about your services? Is that something that you, you actively seek? or people come to you just naturally for that? Well, <laughs> you're right, you're, your timing is right at the right time. Because uh, your question is right at the right time, Kevin, because we are um, trying to expand very strategically, not too quickly. As I mentioned, we do wanna be more um, expansive in our schoolwork, and then we're also kind of dipping our toe in the corporate world work. And both of those require more strategy. So mm -hmm. we're working with our team. I have a total of 21 consultants and contributors um, half of whom do the services with me, the other half write the content. The consultant team and I are working on this strategy right now, and we're pretty high um, high visibility on Twitter and Facebook, which is where a lot of educators are. I use the LinkedIn for more of the professional um, corporate space that I'm that we're kind of, as I said, bridging into. But yeah, I mean, I have a book coming out actually tomorrow, and right. the book is helping with that next level too because the publisher is acting as an agent, you know, helping launch the business, which is really exciting. So it's not just about me because it's not supposed to be the Sarah Auto Show. It's about Confianza and it's about providing more opportunities like conferences, we're writing some articles, you know, really being out in spaces that we may not have been able to get into before. Yeah, I guess with like, I guess with any entrepreneur listening to this, it really, you kind of really need to be out there in a few places, you know, basically be where your audience is. You know, you're saying Twitter, saying Facebook for your teachers and then LinkedIn um, for more professionals because that is a professional network. So mm -hmm. you really need to essentially be where your audience is 
And I guess for you, how do you sort of manage all that time, the people, you know, that's a big thing for businesses. And how did you maybe learn that? Because like with a team like your size, it's big, you know, you have to essentially be managing people. You know, how, how do you think about that? Yeah, again, great timing for that question because I've just recently built in a layer to support me because I was at the point where managing 10 people is, is unideal. I mean, from what I understand, my husband's in corporate culture and, you know, they say no more than seven to eight. Like, so I realized I was at a breaking point where I don't know if other industries are like this as much, but in education, we're kind of used to martyring ourselves, like working so hard, you know, teachers, like we work like 80 hours a week on the weekends. So I was already at that level of burnout and hustle. And over the last four years, since we've grown, I've realized I don't need to be like that. I can build in a revenue structure where I increase my rates and don't work every day in the field, stay home several days a week, get my mentoring, get my coaching, get my own professional development, build in the time for the management of the team. And then, like I said, recruit one of my own to be this other layer. She's actually my COO mm-hmm. going forward. So she's gonna be managing a lot of the other projects between kind of below me. So yeah, I think it's about imagining what your ideal schedule is mm-hmm. and working towards that, even if it's year by year. Yeah, and I think it's good because that it sort of shows a little bit in the beginning, you always really need to be doing a lot because it's your own business, it's your own baby. Essentially, you, you know what you want it to be. But then kind of what you said, you know, you're in year five you now want to stabilize it and, you know, live the life that you essentially made out to be as an entrepreneur. Like you don't want to be working 80 hours a week, every week. Of course you're going to have to sometimes, but if you have the right structure and the right teammates in place, they can help out a lot and you can focus on bigger picture things. And essentially what you're talking about right now with like your book expanding to businesses, because now you have that free time and uh, you have something that you can trust. And then going on that is how do you find those first few teammates for a company? You know, a lot of entrepreneurs struggle with that um, in any industry, you know, because it's their company and they don't really know who to bring on for that first person. Yeah, I know. It's really good. Really, really great question. For me, it comes down to resonance. Like, are we, are we sharing our values? Are we similar in our approach, but not, maybe not the same? So in other words, with the confianza, that's our way. Like the confianza way is mutual respect and trust. As we were saying, I need to see that. I need to see that in the evidence of your relationships, in your track record, and how we interact. Because it doesn't matter how much you know, if you're not, if you're not showing people that you care, you're not going to get very far. So that that piece is essential. Um, I've just kind of gone with my gut, to be honest. The first year I had two ladies come up to me, one at a conference and one through a mutual friend and said, you know, I really want to work for you. <laughs> I said, well, this is fortuitous because I could really use some help. And I, you know, I did a little interview with them, kind of informal like this, asking questions and a little performance assessment. And um, yeah, I've been lucky. And every single person that's come aboard has been through the same process. It's through our personal or a professional network and we've fine-tuned the process we have a much more stringent training mm-hmm. and recruitment model now and we're excited to to offer it to more people but um yeah i think it's getting really clear for me it's not just the skills that's like 50 percent of it but again it's that personality piece for us it's like that trust and respect and yeah i would say like a lot of times it's are they connected to the mission that the company has or that the founder has such as yourself because then you know that whatever they're doing for the company is in the best interest of that mission that Airbnb has essentially. Um, 
Well said. <laughs> uh, perfect. And then today I want to talk to you a little bit about, you know, your website. So, you know, your ELLstudent.com. Is that something oh, that people go to a lot to buy the, the courses? You know, is that something that you really promote a lot? And sort of how does that sort of fit into your mix of services? Great. Yeah, so when I started the business, it was essential that we had a digital presence. As we mentioned before, the, the importance of social media is critical in education and, of course, organizations. And so I knew that I wanted to be, I wanted Confianza to be a resource, and I want us to have a lot of free tools and articles. And I've always, always, always been a curator of content because there's tons of research out there, but who has time to read like a 50 page research report? Teachers need tools now, leaders need tips now. They need articles, they need, they need simple protocols. So when I started the business, that was the first thing I did was a little about me and then a couple free resources. Mm -hmm. And then it's grown as the framework has grown. And um, like I said before, we have a content team that builds that out for us. And so how do we promote it? As you asked, I mean, it's part of that, um, the social media channels. Mm -hmm. We um, schedule, you know, tweets. We, we take advantage of that kind of software. We do a lot of organic tweeting and posting. We are lucky to have um, many people out in the field use our tools and articles regularly. So they post and share and tag us. Mm -hmm. And we, you know, we do track all of that through analytics because we want to contribute, continue to really build, build our list and build our presence. But ultimately it's a lot of the free stuff. Yes. Mm -hmm. People buy, people buy things there too. We have some tools for sale and we have some courses for sale, but it's an e-commerce platform because we want to, we want to be seen as an organization that can do both that can have for sale and then can have free. Yeah, exactly. Having, I think that that's the best combo is having for free, free content out there that people can easily access. And then also give them a chance to buy something because what we've seen, and you've probably seen this as well, is if you give them something for free and it's really good, I mean, you want to give people really good free content, then they're just wondering, oh my God, this good content from Sarah is free. I wonder what her paid stuff is like. And then they know that, that you, you are the real deal and they're going to be more confident in buying and even just contacting you. So yeah, exactly. You want to have the good content pieces and then the paid stuff as well because as, as we've seen it, and you probably see it too, people sometimes just want to pay for things. And you just want to offer them that option. Yes, exactly. Yeah, we've got it. And we're working, talking about strategy again, we're working to refine our strategy for sales funnels because we do see a lot of free orders. Mm -hmm. and we think, okay, you know, with our new book coming out, like can we convert to different yeah. places and do it in a way, so that's the challenge though for us, Kevin, is doing it in a way that promotes confianza and by confianza, I mean the mutual respect and trust. It doesn't feel artificial. It's got to be relationship-based for us. So that's, that's our challenge is to figure out how to scale that up um, while feeling really organic. Yeah, exactly. Especially with the brand you're building. You want them to you know, trust you guys and, and, and really know that, the product, know that you're standing behind the product that you're selling and it's not just uh, shoving them things down their throat, essentially. Yes, um, exactly. <laughs> Perfect. So, Matt, not by the worst thing, best thing to say. Uh, I want to know kind of, you know, what's something particularly useful that you think has been helpful in your entrepreneurial journey that you can sort of share with us? Yeah, I'll share with you what I share with everybody I talk to who calls me up and says, you know, how can I do something like what you're doing? I say, get a mentor, get a business coach, or get a cadre of business coaches. Because no matter how strong you think you are at the content you want to sell, or the services you want to provide, 
the business development aspect of it is unless you're in business and even then are you a small business owner i don't know like if you've never been a small business owner that learning curve can be so steep it again it doesn't matter almost how great your idea is if you don't have support there and that that's been my saving grace is my mentors and my coaches i have a whole cadre of them and they help me for different parts of the business and so i found that that has been transformative in terms of my own development and the business development yeah, so I think this I think this tip is really a good tip and most people don't really think about this as I spoke to other people. And the way I like to tell them or think about it is there's probably basketball players or soccer players that you look up to and they're performing at the best of their best and they all have coaches. And you've probably heard about this hundreds of times that they have a coach for literally every single piece of their body that they're probably doing. <laughs> so uh, you of us as business owners we also need coaches and you know you might not need it because it feels weird but the best of the best people do have it and that's something that more people need to, to think about i agree in fact we told it we touted in our work you know it's internal and external we say everybody deserves a coach yep. so we that's what we do we train coaches that's our big you know our big ticket item is coaching coaches and then helping build that sustainability. So it's the same internally. And if you can't get a coach right away, cause it can be expensive unless you do like, I went through and I still do um, SCORE. So the Small Business Administration from the federal government, they have free mm. uh, business coaches, but sometimes you want someone who can be there more often or you want something really specific that's for pay. And if you can't afford that, you can also just join a group. Like I've joined different Boston um, women business group and it's been phenomenal. Like one of my colleagues was on Shark Tank last year. Uh, and, you know, I watched her win Mass Challenge. And we've been there for each other, and especially during our startup phases, to really articulate, even though she has a product and I have a service business, there are stages of business development that are universal. And by learning and sharing from other business owners, it's, um, it's been really helpful for me, if not um, anything more relieving than anything. Like, yeah. oh, what I'm going through is totally normal. Okay, yeah. other people are doing this too. <laughs> yeah, no, exactly what you said. I think it's also helped you keep your sanity because exactly what you said, sometimes you feel like you have nothing or no one in your team to talk about, but you can have confidence or confide in another business owner because they might be going through the same thing. And um, they might just not judge you essentially. And you just want someone to like really talk to you and help you through the, the issues yes. you might be going. Preach. <laughs> uh, right. And then Sarah, what, what tools or platforms do you guys use to run your business? I know you earlier today, you're mentioning you guys use Zoom, but you know, <laughs> what else do you guys use to run your business? Oh my gosh, what are all our software subscriptions? Sheesh. Yeah. Well, <laughs> our, our e-commerce site is Shopify. So we definitely use that one. Um, as you mentioned, we do use Zoom for our uh, all sorts of things, for video conferencing and webinars. We use the whole Google suite. That's important for us because we do a lot with our clients blended as well as internally. And I'm assuming with your team, you mostly communicate through email or do you, do you use something like Slack or like Microsoft Teams? Well, actually we're looking at that right now, speaking of strategy and growth. So once again, um, that's a really great question because we want to be a little more, you know, yeah, a little more efficient with our time. So we're looking at Slack, but so far it's been, it's been successful on email. So it just depends um, on where we want to go. And I'm trying to think what else. Oh, we use our um, online learning platform of Schoology. Mm. That's uh, where we put our online courses. 
So that's another big one as well. And how do you, for your team, you know, as other business owners, how do you decide what software to use? You know, is there some sort of platform you go to? Do you ask friends for recommendations? Or do you just uh, Google around what might be the best tools? Good question. Um, the Shopify was a big initial purchase and I consulted a business owner that I know who's also my cousin and he's been successful in online um, sales. So I went with that one after comparing and contrasting. And really everything else was, I think either software that I knew about or software that's been recommended by people on our team. Okay, perfect. Yeah. Yeah, I, I think, think it's a good question though. Yeah, because yeah. there's a lot out there. There's so much out there. And I think something that we notice about entrepreneurs or you might have when talked to other people is with software, you can get inundated with just so many choices. And yes. it's so, like kind of what I was saying for are you doing Slack or Microsoft Teams. There's for every software piece, there's at least three. And then you just don't know which one because you sometimes are scared that they lock you in for the monthly price. Yes. It is there. Um, so it's sometimes it's a little tricky, um, especially with like a lot of these communication type of tools that really want to hold your data and then don't make it easy to get out of. Yeah, I agree. And I would say I made that mistake. Um, even though my mom, who was my business manager for the first two years and still my advisor, she was like, Sarah, I don't know if you should lock into that for a year. I was like, oh, it's a good deal. They're giving me a good deal. And it was a CRM um, that we ended up not using long-term. I actually canceled it, even though I had to pay for it for a whole year. Um, we didn't need a CRM. You know, yeah. it was like, we thought we needed a CRM to manage our clients, but we already have a workflow process that works. Yeah. We have a person that manages that, you know, it was, it was like, oh, I don't need that. But it took me six months of playing with it and learning the hardware to be like, oh, just because it integrates with all of our other systems mm -hmm. doesn't mean that it makes our life easier. Yeah. Yeah. I think sometimes I think in the beginning, it's just keeping it super simple. And even if it means writing it down or emailing, emailing it to yourself, eventually you'll find a workflow or tool that will do what you want. And you'll have better knowledge of what you need done versus just reading a feature list that you think, oh, I need these three extra features, even though you're not ready for that uh, yet. Yes. And you may not ever be, and that's okay too, because every business is different. Yeah, exactly. Okay, perfect. And then Sarah, just one more question for you. Where can we go to learn more about you, your story, or your business that you have? Oh, great. Yeah, you can visit us at ellstudents.com or ellconfianza.com. And you can also find us um, on Twitter at ELL underscore Confianza or on Facebook at ELL Confianza. No underscore. Um, if you want to learn about me and follow me on Twitter, I'm really active and I like to share lots about what I'm doing and what I'm thinking. And that's at Sarah Otto, one word, S-A-R-A-H-O-T-T-O-W. Perfect. Uh, thank you so much, Sarah, for your time. And everybody, please check out Confianza, um, ELLstudents.com and Confianza consulting as well. Uh, thank you so much, Sarah, for your time. I really appreciate it. My pleasure. Thanks, Kevin. This week's episode of Digital Marketing Fastlane was brought to you by the performance marketing experts at Voy Media. Join us again next time as we'll be bringing you more tips, techniques, and know-how to make your online business the very best that it can be. If you have any questions, comments, or feedback, we'd love to hear them on Twitter at Voy Media. Thank you.